Hello everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of the Product Pioneers podcast, where Code University students interview industry leaders about building great products, product management, startups, growth and more. What should I say? This episode is special for a few reasons. Reason number one. Our guest today is Patrick, the head of product from Gorillas, the 10-minute grocery delivery app. He started at Gorillas as one out of two product people about a year ago and built together with Barbara, the head of design, the product organization to about 30 people today and more than 10,000 employees. Before that, he founded and sold Mapify, a travel app that allows you to share your travel experiences, get inspired for your next trip and easily book these complex round trips. We will briefly talk about Mapify and his exit, but mainly focus on the insane growth that he witnessed at Gorillas. We talk about hiring, building great teams, and how he built product organization. Just generally about all the different moving pieces that are needed to create a service like Gorillas. Now here's reason number two. This episode will mark one of the last episodes of season two. I know, it's sad. As you know, this podcast is run by a team of Code University students, and now has a total of 34 episodes, with 14 episodes in Season 2, meaning with our current student team consisting of Thais, Fuju, Alessandro and me as the host. I will need to focus on my bachelor thesis in the coming months, and also want to pass this incredible opportunity of podcasting on to new students, so they can take it to new heights. We might release a few more episodes with people that we have already reached out to, so stay tuned for that. But we thought this one is a great time to celebrate the slow end of season two. To celebrate it, we are live on Product Hunt today. Product Hunt is a platform where people can vote for products. The more people vote, the more people see it and have the chance to get value out of each episode. So if you liked and got value out of at least one episode, we would highly appreciate your support. If you want to show some love and don't already have an account on Product Hunt, you can create one in under five minutes with Apple sign-in, Google, Twitter or Facebook. Please upvote Product Pioneers, it would mean a lot to everyone on the team. And of course, you can also support us on LinkedIn or Instagram. You can find all of the links in the show notes on our website productpioneerspodcast.com or in the description of this episode in your podcasting app you're listening to right now. I know it was a long intro, so without further ado, let's dive into this. I hope you enjoy it. All right, Patrick, welcome to the show. I'm really happy to have you here today. Of course, happy to be here. All right, wonderful. So long-time listeners of the show um, know that I always like to start with an icebreaker, and that is how did you get into, what what was your childhood dream when you grew up as a job? That's a, that's a very interesting question. Um, so I think um, probably the earliest, uh, the earliest uh, kind of professional dream that I developed was, um, was getting into politics, uh, quite interestingly. Um, I, I ended up doing um, a, an internship uh, quite early in school with uh, one, of the, one of the members of the parliament uh, of the federal state that, uh, that I grew up in. And um, uh, yeah, ended up becoming very, very interested in politics and um, uh, started to, to become a member of a party in Germany and, and also some, some, some local uh, politics work. Um, and uh, I think after two or three years, I, I realized that um, 
uh, things in, in politics develop much, much slower than sometimes you have in, uh, the impression from the outside. And so I, I, I'm still a member of the party and I'm still interested um, very much politically, but then transitioned my personal focus to entrepreneurship. Um, when I had started uh, kind of my first company in school and realized, okay, you can really uh, move things much faster in the business world. Um, but yeah, continue to be very interested in that. All right. I always love these icebreakers and see where people end up in the end and what they're initially wanted to be. It's great. So uh, you're the head of product at Gorillas, but before that, you also founded a company at Mapify. Um, I would like to spend a few minutes on that and you even did an exit on there. So with Mapify, so I'd love to hear what Mapify, what Mapify was and maybe some of the biggest challenges you had there and some of the learnings from that time. Yes, of course, of course. So uh, that's a longer story. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll cut the intro very short and you can ask about it, anything, of course. Um, so. Uh, when we were, um, we, we had a founding team um, of five people with Mapify and um, coming from very different directions, uh, me more from the product and uh, um, also legal side, what I studied, um, then uh, three um, of our co-founders more from the engineering side and, and one of our co-founders, Toby, from the creative photography videography space. And um, Mapify um, still exists as a company. and. Um, the what we are, what we were essentially building is a platform on which people can visualize and share their travel experiences and um and then the the, the ultimate long-term vision that we were developing was to enable people to book these travel experiences right to 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 transform the way that people would think about you know taking uh, especially very complex trips round trips uh, that you would take uh, south africa thailand or or other exotic destinations and um, to enable people to really to really take um, uh, be able to to immediately book travel experiences that other people had done right and and we kind of took this inspiration from the real world example of you know, if you have a friend who who has gone to a certain country, you you end up asking them, "Hey, how did you do your trip?" And many people were actually booking very similar trips. And because you don't have a friend who has usually, at least, who has been to the entire world, we had this idea of, "Okay, let's bring this experience to to a global community." And that's what we grew and um, and built. And in the first phase, kind of built the the community and content platform, right? And there's the Mapify app that you can still uh, find on the App Store and everything. Um, and then the second phase of the business was really, okay, now we have all these trips and we have this global community, right? And we have a lot of people who have shared content. Now, can we make that bookable for other people, right? And we started to, to sell trips, uh, highly customized round trips, Iceland, really all over the, all over the place. Um, ultimately, of course, I came into the COVID, uh, you know, the, the COVID crisis as a travel company, and that's a whole different uh, kind of story, and was was also very intense. Um, but yeah, ended up selling the company to Home to Go, um, the world's largest vacation rental comparison platform, um, uh, which had over the time of um, of COVID, um, also of course struggling with this global travel crisis. Uh, started to develop technology in the area of community and content. And so there was a great fit because we had this content and community platform, very strong community, um, a lot of highly unique content. And on their side, they wanted to move into this space. And so 
um, uh, acquired Mapify as a company. All right, all right, that's very interesting. So basically, you sold right when COVID happened already, or did that start like the, the selling process or the yeah, exit process start earlier? Yeah, it started. It's the, the the actual exit process started much later than the beginning of the COVID crisis. So um, the, the the situation essentially was we we had um, we had for around two years i would say we had been working on the community platform right and, and this was all pre-covid um it was really growing very well people were, were still going all over the place and around half a year before kind of march 2020 right when when when, when COVID really especially in the german market like hit very hard um before that we about half a year before we started selling trips right and we so so we we essentially added the option to our platform to say, okay, now you can not just look at the trips that other people have done and get inspired. You can, you can really, if you see this Iceland trip, you can, you can request to book, right? And then you would get an offer for the trip and you could book it. And, um, and this was growing very fast, right? So people, I mean, we had this huge pool of people who, who were a Mapify community member already, and they knew the trips and they knew that they, those were all fantastic, very unique experiences. And so they wanted to, When we made that option available, I remember we were sending like the first, I think the first email to the first hundred people. We immediately had, had people responding and say, yeah, I want to send me an offer and things like that. We couldn't even create the offers as, as fast as people were responding uh, and, and requesting them. And so we started selling trips. And so uh, around, I think every, every single month we grew right to, to very, very quickly. And we had people, you know, even requesting trips in countries that we weren't even offering yet. And, It, so, so hiring, you know, team members and sales and, and getting things up and running. And, um, and then March came and suddenly you had a travel ban, right, in Germany. And this was, I mean, of course, unimaginable from one day to another. People aren't even allowed to use the service that you're building as a company, right? I mean, that's the most extreme kind of crisis that you can get into. And so we found ourselves in a situation where I think over the course of two weeks, we, we were scrambling to even understand what was happening, right? We were trying to get people back from their trips, flights had been canceled and all of that. And of course, entered into a situation where for, for half a year, we, we couldn't sell any trips, right? We weren't able to, um, uh, to, to we, we basically had to put our business completely on hold, right? And at that time, we were very, we were very well funded, right? We had larger investors coming in for COVID. And, and so we had a lot of capital, but inside the founding team, we, we had been very regularly asking ourselves the question, do we continue to believe that in this market environment, we can really build a big startup company, right? And I mean, you, you start a startup company and you raise venture capital because you want to build a very large business very fast right that's that's the goal because otherwise you don't have to take in millions you could you could also bootstrap it much slower and so when you're suddenly in a market that is so tremendously changed right and i mean this for the travel industry was probably a once in 50 years crisis right when you're in this market that is so fundamentally changed you you start asking does it really make sense To, to attempt building a, a huge company in this market environment where basically your market isn't even growing, it's forbidden and it's, it's shrinking, right? And, um, uh, and so we, 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 
I mean, we uh, we continued uh, the, the operations fairly normal for around half a year. Then we started again to to try and sell trips. Right, this was kind of like after the summer 2020. Most people remember. People were thinking, oh yeah, the summer was quite good, right? COVID is probably gone, and, and maybe the, the fall it will come back a little bit. But we thought, okay, you know, we maybe we can start selling again, and we ended up, I think, selling one or two trips. And very quickly, of course, the next lockdown came and we knew, okay, this thing very likely is going gonna, gonna to drag on much longer, right? And now we are 2022. 20, and, and, and of course, you know, looking back, looking back, it was, a, it was a good decision to kind of assume at least that this would drag on much longer. And so in the fall of 2020, we started to think about, you know, what do we really believe we should do, right, from a founder's team's perspective. And, um, we came to the conclusion to say, look, we don't think that we should be using our investors' capital, which was quite a lot at this at this point still, right? We had been we had raised a total of 3.8 million. We had a lot of that left. And we said we don't think that we should use this capital um, if we cannot see that we can really build a big business, right? Because that's our obligation to investors. We we basically say, look, we we take on the capital and and we will we will do everything we can to build a very big business. And we we had this clear perspective of okay, this market is going to be very very hard. And um, so we said, okay, um, we're going to start. We're going to see if we can sell the business, right? We, we 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 were looking for partners. We also wanted to find a company that we really believed would um would represent what we believe about the mapify community right unique content unique people unique trips and and and, and fantastic travel experiences and so we ended up connecting with home to go and, and 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 started to really see okay they had been starting to develop a very similar technology and they had very similar beliefs on the content side and we felt it was a natural fit and so um uh, in the end uh, said okay we're gonna we're gonna sell and we're gonna um, join home to go's uh, family of, of a lot of companies that they own and um, and returned uh, uh, the rest of the capital to the investors of course to, together with the sale process and looking back now um, from today's perspective that was um, a great great decision um, and I really believe in that decision and I really believe we, we did the right thing here um, from a very very desperate situation creating uh, a quite a good outcome for for, you know, always looking at the circumstances. Of course, probably before COVID, the company would have sold for, you know, even more money, right? Realistically speaking, but I think for being in like a 50 year, you know, travel crisis, uh, the outcome was was a good one. Wonderful. All right, I would love to dive more into that, but um, let's use most of the time for the gorillas experience. So you basically sold Mapify and then how did you get to gorillas? Yeah, it was um, a very, very interesting um, story as well. So um, when when we were in this process of of evaluating, you know, how what, what are we going to do for uh, with with Mapify? How are we going to continue? Um, I uh, I spent most of my time in, in in Berlin, and that was in the fall of uh, 2020, um, late fall, I would say, and. Um, and I was living in Prenzlauerberg um, at the time, and Prenzlauerberg was one of the first delivery areas of gorillas, right? And um, so 
uh, at some point I was on Instagram, I was finding, you know, seeing this, this ad for a 10 minute grocery delivery. And um, what, what, what people have to know, um, I think about me and to, to understand my interest in this space is I have been um, a huge sports fan my entire life, right? I, I've, I've been doing a lot of different sports and um, for the last couple of years, I've been getting into triathlon and uh, especially long distance endurance, right? So half Ironman um, distances, triathlon and training for that. And, um, and so when you train, when you train for that, suddenly um, nutrition and, and grocery shopping and really I mean, essentially everything that you put in your body um, becomes very, very important and you, you pay much more attention. And so I had been, even in the summer 2020, when I was spending also more time in Amsterdam, I had been becoming very interested in this space, right? I, I, I was at different grocery stores. And then when you're in the Netherlands, you will realize it's, it's very different when you go to like an Albertine, for example, than when you go to Rewe or Edeka in, in Germany. And um, so I had this personal interest in the space. And I had had a conversation with, with one of my best friends around what is going to happen to this industry, right? Because you see kind of everything going online and then you go to the grocery store, right? And this experience, especially when, you went, when, I, when I went to a grocery store in Berlin, it was like, it's still, you know, like it was 50 years ago, right? So I saw this ad and um, I was like, okay, that's really interesting, right? Because I, I had been in, my, in the back of my head, it was like, okay, something is going to happen in this space that's going to digitalize this, this, this experience, right? And um, so I saw this ad, I, I downloaded the app, and um, this was extremely early, right, in the gorilla days. I mean, today it's a gigantic company, um, but, um, but, but this was very, very early. I think there were a couple of warehouses in Berlin and in Cologne, no big international expansion yet and things like that. And so I saw the app, and the app was very, very early, right? So they had been basically taking, taking a, a, an app from, from another, uh, from, from like a logistics provider, essentially. And, 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 and that had become over, over a couple of months to Gorilla's app. And from my personal experience as a, as a product uh, manager and as, as someone who had been building consumer-facing products in Mapify, um, and the Mapify app had been featured like on the app store and, and it looked you know, really great. Right? Yeah. 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 So we, we put a lot of effort in like, how can we build the best, you know, app experience possible. Right. And so I saw the app and I was like, okay, that's really interesting because there is so much possibility in this product still, right. There is so much possibility in the, in the, in the app itself. Um, but at the same time, it was already working, right? Like it was not as if, you know, the product, you know, the, 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 the fact that the product was so early was kind of hurting the business. It was really, um, the, the experience was already very interesting, but there was a lot more potential there, right? And so um, what ended up happening is I messaged um, Khan, the, the Gorilla's founder. Um, I, I sent him a message on LinkedIn. He responded and he said, let's, let's meet for a coffee. And we met and um, it was very, it was a great conversation, right? And, and, and from the very beginning, was really interested uh, and kind of learning more, of course, of, uh, about about our experience with Mapify, and he looked at the Mapify app and things like that. And so I, I went went with him to the office and and met some other people there, um, and um, and then ended up joining uh, Gorillas as uh, as I think one the the first of um, of, of two uh, or like one one of two 
product people in the organization. Of course, today we are we are 30 people in product management and design alone, right? But back in the days, um, uh, this was uh, this was uh, much much earlier and smaller organization. And uh, yeah, since then, have been building product management. Um, and with the help of my colleague uh, Barbara, who leads design at Grillis, uh, the the design or organization um, that she has been developing, and um, and and then of course we have a large engineering organization as well with with which we collaborate very closely and and build the entire um, yeah product uh, product ecosystem um, that Grillis is 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 running on. Great. Uh, so there's a lot to dive in here. Um, what really boggles me about Gorillas is all the freaking different moving pieces that you need to create that experience to deliver something in 10 minutes, right? So could you go through like the different aspects, the different moving pieces of Gorillas, what is needed to pull off such a service, just for people to understand the scope of things? Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I can, I can, I can specifically, specifically, of course, um, uh, touch touch on this uh, from from like a product perspective, right? And and a product, but also technological perspective. So um, the interesting part about Gorillas is um, you you have this consumer facing product, right? The Gorillas app, and I think probably at this point everyone has at least seen it, and 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 many of the listeners probably even use it. Um, and um, and so. You have this uh, experience, and when you look at it, it it seems fairly simple, right? You 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 have a selection of products. You 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 have you search for the products that you want to have, and you put them in a basket, and you send it, and and suddenly, you know, 10, 15 minutes maximum, it, it's at your doorstep, right? And when you look at that from the outside, you it's it's quite easy to oversee that a lot more than what you're seeing is happening on the backend side, right? And that even happened to me, right? Like I came to Gorilla seeing the consumer product and I thought, of course, my first thought was, okay, there's so much that can be improved about the app, but I ended up realizing, oh my God, there's much, much, much more that can be optimized, of course, on the on backend side, right? And, on, and, and how the service is being done. And so when you send that order, um, this order goes to one of our warehouses, right? And you, you've probably heard about kind of like the general setting. Um, we have warehouses that are distributed across a given city. And, um, and then the order lands there and someone is starting to pick your order, right? And this is very optimized for time so that, of course, your order can be put together very quickly in a, in a bag. And then one of our riders picks the order up and delivers it to you, right? And so you have an entire suite of products that exist to power that, right? You, you don't just have the consumer app. Of course, that's where people enter their order, but you have, for example, a rider app and you have a, an app that's used in the warehouse, um, which are other products that need to be built and, and developed and, and, and all of them kind of have to work in harmony um, to, to create that experience, right? And of course, the other side of that, and that's very interesting about a, about a company like Gorillas is it's not purely a digital company, right? It's not pure, it is of course, the, you, it has a clear digital entry point, but it is a company that needs a huge effort on the operational side to even make it work, right? It's not, 
it's not like Instagram that is a purely digital product, right? And you get all the value from the digital experience. It's it's something that is that is on both sides. And um, I would say that this kind of collaboration and connection is what what one of the things that have been very interesting to me. Um, uh, because of course you start to understand that there is so much more to a business like that and so much more complexity that you need to uh, consider when you're developing these products. Right. So we have the riders, we have the consumer app, we have the warehouse management app. And then, I mean, probably you need to always hire riders. You need to hire your people that just run the operations, not just the riders, people that buy product probably do the product selection right and that's probably different from warehouse to warehouse and market city to city maybe country to country so i can see there's lots of different things could you um give like really briefly a few numbers about gorillas like how many cities how many people you are um how many riders funding like just just for people to see like the the transition that you uh witnessed while you were there yeah yeah, yeah. of course of course um so, uh, I mean, one, one fun, fun fact, uh, maybe about gorillas, it's, um, it's, it's not easy to give numbers, um, because the company is, is growing so incredibly quickly that I think even internally, sometimes people don't really know how big it already is. Right. I think that's, that's an, inter I, I was, I have been asked many times, you know, how many people work for gorillas and, and, and oftentimes the reality is it's somewhat, you know, more, it's more than 10,000. We just don't really know how many. Right. And, and, and that's, I mean, we, we are really more than 10,000 people. Um, so when, when I joined, um, the, the, the overall footprint of gorillas in terms of international or you know, national expansion, even in Germany, gorilla started in Berlin. There were a couple of warehouses in Berlin. There was, a, there were a couple of warehouses in Cologne, which was kind of the second city that, that we opened. Um, uh, and and that was um, that was when I kind of first got got in touch with the company. That was November 2020, right? So, um, what has happened since then is is I, I would say, and, and, and I think many observers have have said the same. Uh, one of the most incredible growth stories that have ever happened in 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 the startup scene, right? And um uh, today gorillas operates in in a, in a huge number actually of, of international countries even we are in many cities in germany i'm not even sure how many exactly um we are in germany netherlands um, belgium france spain italy great britain we are we launched in new york uh, in the us um and i'm, I'm probably forgetting uh, even one country now um but you you see that within uh, a matter of months, right? Uh, like a little more than a year, um, the expansion has gone from being in two cities in Germany to basically being, you know, all over Europe in the, in the major countries and uh, and even being in the US, right? And and not just being in one city, but even in the Netherlands, for example, being in several cities and and expanding very very quickly. And um, that is of course because when you compare the experience that you have with such a quick delivery service with the original grocery shopping experience it's 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 a it's completely different right and it's so much more um so much more enjoyable and so much more um interesting uh 
um, to experience as a consumer than, than going to a store, right? Of course, there's differences in, in assortment and things like that that need to be considered. But um, yeah, and so over, of course, this entire growth has been funded by a huge amount and, and people have, uh, have probably seen funding announcement, things like that. Uh, and the company has been valued at, at more than 2 billion at this point. And um, so it's, it's been a very um, interesting journey. Right. So what were some early struggles when you joined and how did you overcome them? Yeah. So I think from my personal perspective, right, um, one of the biggest challenges of this was that I was, when I, when I joined the company, I was not, I, I didn't come from the grocery industry, right? I came from a from industry-wise, from a very, very different industry. I, I had been doing uh, travel before. And, um, and so I came into the company. And the interesting thing is this business is a combination of many different businesses, right? And you need to start suddenly you need to start learning about how businesses work in different markets. This company is, is partially a grocery company. It's partially a digital company. It's partially a logistics company, right? Because it's all working together. You're, you, 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 of course, you have to have an understanding. How do you sell groceries, right? How do you sell groceries in the digital world? How do you get those groceries? How do you manage the supply chains? And, of course, you know, with the, with the huge growth that, that Gorillas has since been going through, you had um, a lot of people joining who were extremely knowledgeable in these areas, right? So, so that, that helped massively, of course. Um, but um, you, you got to a point where um, it became very, very interesting, uh, very, very important to understand these areas, right? And that was one of the challenges that I had in the beginning I came in having this consumer perspective, knowing about, you know, how do you make a product great for a consumer? But I needed to understand the, the, the entire backend side of it and how it worked and how we could improve because a lot of the things that matter for the consumer are actually powered by the backend side of the business, right? So for example, if you think about Gorillas as a product, you have a customer-facing experience with the customer app, but much of that experience is actually made of the products that you have, right? You could have, let's say, you could have the greatest app in the world if you have, from the most important products for a given person, if you don't have five of them, they will still consider going to the store, right? Because they will need these products. So they might order part of it from you, but not everything. And so what happens is that you start understanding that the, even the front end facing customer experience is powered by the supply chain, logistics, warehouse operations, all of what you're doing to put that thing together. And I think that was the most, the most challenging part for me, right? To understand this entire business from, from the very beginning so that I knew, okay, now we're building the team. Where do we even start working so that it, it, it moves the business forward? Very interesting. So, um, how did you manage hypergrowth? So, on, on our on our podcast, I interviewed Lorena from Infarm, and she put a lot of in emphasis on basically buying off the shelf no code tools just to bootstrap a lot of things. 
um, because, you know, I mean, it's similar difficult for, for in-farm, also hardware product, also consumer facing, but a lot of the things are powered um, by the by the back end things that the company needs to do to actually grow things. Um, so I think that there, there are some similarities here. So I'm really curious, um, how did you manage this crazy hyper growth? What were some, some tactics? Yes, very, very good question. I think very interesting. Um, what you shared, what you shared from her experiences. So um, I, even from an entrepreneurial perspective, I strongly believe in you have to start with um, what do you ultimately want to uh, prove in terms of your customer value proposition, and you have to hack everything together before you end, you 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 build any you 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 build anything until you have proven that this customer value proposition really works, right? I think there is this still large um, approach in the startup scene that you need to be building a lot of things until you can prove something, right? And that is, and I think that that is, that partially comes from the fact that building something is of course extremely fun, right? It's much more fun to go into Figma and create an awesome looking design and to start coding an awesome looking and awesome feeling product, then it is to take a kind of 30% working no code solution. And maybe, you know, you take a Shopify template, right? And you start selling on Shopify and you can't really customize everything, even though of course that's an amazing platform, but it's, it's kind of cool and, and it's fun and it's, it's, you know, a great experience to be building a product and to be building kind of everything from scratch, right? But the challenge with that is that you will most likely either be too slow because someone else is building the no-code experience and acquiring all the customers beforehand, or you will, which is actually even worse, you will build something that doesn't work at all and that doesn't deliver any value to the customer, right? And so... Um, and so the, 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 the approach that, that even a company, like the only way that a company like Gorillaz uh, was able to scale this incredibly quickly is because, you know, we had part of our technology that, that was kind of, you know, coming from, um, from, from different solutions that were already in the market and it was kind of pieced together and you were using that to scale. And of course, what happens when you then now you, you hit that momentum and you get to the customer and the customer loves it, then, of course, you get to a challenging situation because, I mean, we were in a place where, you know, every single week in the early days, we were even trying to keep the, keep the whole thing live, right? Because, because you get, I mean, the, the demand that we were seeing for this, for this service was so, so much greater than anything that had, had been anticipated that of course now you have this tech stack and it doesn't really work very well, right? But that's a much better place to be in than to build something for half a year and then nobody is, is using it, right? It's a very and so, problem to have. <laughs> 100%, right? It's, 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 it's very painful still, right? I can tell you from experience, it's very painful when you like, you want to you make things better, but you, you, you really have, you, you only have a very small team and there are so many things that are completely burning. And you know that even in the next three months, you could probably only work on one of the products that you have, right? It's, it's, it's still painful, but you have a business. You have something that is selling that has customers and you're, you're moving into the right direction. 
And um, so I think the way that we then approached this challenge was that, okay, we, we said we are, we are in hyper growth. We know that we there's no way that we will be able to rebuild the technology stack or like, you know, kick out these tools and replace them with something we own within three months. And so the only question became, I think there were kind of like two questions that we were asking is how can we hire more people? Right. That was the first thing, right. We were in the, when I started, we were kind of like three, four people. Right. So we, we needed to kind of like 100 X better, you know, in, in the, long in the product organization. In, in, in product design and engineering, right? So four or five people, and then, and then of course, it grew quite quickly. Um, so how can we hire more people? How can we hire great people, which is, which is a, a huge difference? Hiring great people is much, much more difficult. And um, how, can we, how can we identify what from everything that's burning is burning the most, right? And, and that, that, that becomes different. That becomes difficult because, of course, you have this huge organization and everyone is kind of using parts of the technology, but it's, and, and everyone is having huge problems with it, of course, but you need to start understanding the entire system so that you can, you can tell right from your own perspective, what is burning the most. And so then we started to step-by-step step, um, rebuild part of the technology, make it significantly better designed well, you know, do product discovery and do the, the actual, you know, strong product delivery with the strong tech setups. And we, we brought on fantastic people to the team. And, and so then it, it kind of developed, started to develop in the right direction. We were able to serve the business with, with great and supporting technology. Um, but it's been a, it's been a, it's been a crazy journey to, to get there for sure. So how did you identify the most burning problem? Do you have a framework for that or some specific approach? Yeah, so so I think that, and this is something that I try to, to bring to um, the overall product philosophy that, that, we, that we have, right? It is very, very important to understand the whole business as a product person, right? It's very easy to come in and say, um, I'm responsible for this product and I'm gonna understand this, this product and I'm gonna try to make it as, as good as possible, right? And that's great and that's ultimately your, your job if you're dedicated to a certain product. But for, for a business like Gorillas, the, the, the overall operational complexity of delivering that service is so high that you have to understand the business from these from the beginning to the end to be able to say to to identify what you should be working on and what are um, things that you can fix that are going to have a huge impact on the business right and so for me that was actually the, the the thing that i spent a lot of time with understanding how does this machine work especially on the operational side, because the reality is 80% of the technology that we are building at any given point in time, maybe it's sometimes it shifts, of course, per quarter, we do more here, we do more there, but more definitely more than 50% is on the internal side, right? We are building a product that serves our riders, that serves our warehouse crew, our supply chain team, or, or you know, any, any other team. And so you need to understand their problems that they are facing and you need to understand how the problems that they have 
are reflected in the customer experience. And so then you start to get to a point where you say, okay, if, I, if we can improve that internal process, we are improving that team's experience, we can enable them to work better. And what, because they're working better, ultimately the customer experience gets better, right? Like one super simple example is, if you improve the way that the, the supply chain team can operate, you might get more products more quickly. You might get bought better new products. And by having those better new products, you will com compete in the marketplace because suddenly you're this app that has 100 more products than, than a competitor, right? And um, so that became very, very, um, very, very important. And I think by identifying which kind of problems that we were seeing were ultimately having the largest business impact if we were to fix them, then we could wait, work our way backwards and we could say, okay, that's now our priority and we are going to address that, right? And of course, that was something that was always aligned with the leadership team and the entire company to see, you know, to, to see all these dependencies and see where do we need to go. One follow-up question for that. I guess the supply chain is different from, you know, New York than Germany, let's say. Um, so do you build different products for different regions or you just build for the German market because that's where you make most money and then you basically, you have like, you know, you did the same hybrid growth you did in Germany, you just do the same things later in, <laughs> in New York or the States or like do you have different phases in different markets or um, you try to really build the perfect solution for all different markets, although they're in different stages? Yeah, so that's a great question because if you look at the complexity that we were faced with and, and, and still are today, right? I mean, Gorillas is, is still growing uh, very, very quickly and expanding and you know doing all these things. So if you look at the complexity, the challenge we had was not just, okay, this business is growing at an incredible pace in the existing markets, but it's also expanding internationally. And with every international expansion, of course, we were also able to improve our processes. So the challenge becomes you're building a product for an internal team, for example, the German supply chain team, right? But you might have a new country that already has better processes and they need to be also able to use this product, right? And so you're in this process of, you need to continuously do product discovery to understand where does the business stand and how, how can we best create a product? And that's incredibly difficult to do. Of your own employees, um, that's the fun part, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, of course, right? And you, <laughs> so you need, to be, you need to be incredibly integrated into the organization. And I'm, I'm, I mean, at, at this point, I'm so thankful to everyone in, in, in the entire organization that, that we have, right? In the, in the teams that have been working on these operational and, and, and all of these marketing brand and all of these different challenges. And of course, on our side, product design, engineering, data, IT, all of, all of them together have been doing a massive collaboration effort to, to, to make that work, right? And so that has been a very, very interesting experience um, to kind of get it off the ground, but you're, you're completely right. It, we had to um, understand what are the most burning issues right now in our core market, um, which for a long time, of course, you know, uh, Germany solely and then other, other countries joined that. 
but also what are we trying to do differently in other countries and how can we adjust, adjust products that we have to that and make that better. Mm, yeah. I mean, we could talk much more about this, but, uh, you know, in the States, probably there's different competitors that have a different angle than in Germany. Yes. And then how do you differentiate your product in that specific market and then in the other market? And yes, I don't know, like it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, sort of, I do want to be in your shoes, but sort of not as well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely, uh, it. <laughs> uh, it has, it has, it has definitely been a time with a lot of work and, uh, long days and and weekends and um and and you know trying to spend uh, time very effectively um, but of course always having too little time for how much is uh, is, is happening in the business so yeah. uh, a very very interesting experience so could you share some insights in how you build different teams over the time yeah um so so as i said from from the very first day that that i started or one of our core focuses became hiring, right? Because we knew um, we have several products and we don't even have one product team, right? Um, so one of the core things that we established very early on is we said, okay, we need to find great people in terms of their skill set, but we need to also pay a lot of attention to what we call um, culture or values fit. Right. And to me, um, personally, this is the most important hiring criteria. I believe that you can bring in people who still have a lot to learn, might not even have, you know, 100% of the skill set that you were imagining, as long as they are a great fit in terms of their personality, in terms of, you know, being humble, you know, and, and, and willing to learn and being people who are very, um, you know, just great, decent people to work with that create a very positive atmosphere, you will put together a team that's going to be much more powerful than having, you know, very smart people that are extremely skilled, but that don't really have a great harmony working together. So we, we paid a lot of attention to that from the very beginning. And I think everyone joining the organization kind of recognizes that today, which is great. Um, so that's the one, one side. We, of course, um, started to get a, a good understanding of our product landscape, and we we knew okay we have different products. We have a customer facing team, we, you know we we so we, we we started to have that 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 focus on okay how can we create first first of all maybe a small team for every product right that we have, and so that kind of came into place, and so the, the organization continued building, and then we we made. Um, a transition to saying, okay, we're not going to solely have one team working on one product anymore, because of course you can't have just one large team working on a, on a product like the customer app, for example, we said, okay, now we are going to have different areas in our organization along the customer journey, right? So from the very beginning, you kind of, you know, you see an ad on Instagram and you sign up for the Gorillas app and then until the very end, you've made your order, you, you've received it, you may, may, may have had a question for a customer service or you want to rate your order. And then along that customer journey, we started to build certain teams, right? And these teams became a part of the organization, you know, they were part of the organization and they then started to focus contributing to certain products, right? And so that's, that's how we created the kind of like the setup for scaling. And then today what we have is, of course, we have 
Um, we have dedicated products, but we have different teams um, with different focuses um, contributing to these products, right? So you would have a product like the customer app, and then you have a team that focuses on how can we create a great sign-up and onboarding experience? And you have, have you have a team that can that that is looking at how can we optimize our payments and checkout flow? And you have a customer service team, right? And you have these different areas along the customer journey um, that that ultimately all together in their collaboration create create the the, the technical and product um, foundation of what what Gorillas uh, runs on as a business. And so that also includes the internal tools that you build. Yes. So like, for example, great product selection means great warehouse management. <laughs> for, for, for example, right? And, and so um, the, interesting, the interesting thing here is, and this is why we, 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 we ended up deciding for this, this structure, is um, you, um, you have to have a great understanding of the internal processes and tools to even be able to build the customer facing experience, right? Because for example, when you order and you um, and, and, and the, the, the order gets picked at the warehouse and it gets picked up by the rider, the rider is using the rider app, right? To, to kind of, you know, even, you know, kind of uh, scan the bag and, and take the order and know where to go to address and navigate and things like that. But on the other side, at the same time, the customer is, of course, seeing the, the, the tracking, right? And, the, and the, the estimated time of arrival and these kind of things. And so when you have different teams who contribute to these different products, you can create, um, you can create what, what we call verticals, right? Where inside these verticals, these teams collaborate very closely with each other. And they know, okay, because this is happening on the writer side, Here's what we need to do on the customer side, right? And you create that knowledge because these, these tools work so closely together that it doesn't really make sense to have, you know, teams being in isolation, just working on this one product because it's all com completely connected, right? And, um, and so that has been something that we are, we are you know, we, the, the, the organization has grown uh, massively, but it will, will still grow a lot. Um, but that has already helped us in the process. So how, how is that practically done? Are you using Jira to have different tickets and then give it a tag for the different products? And do you, how does information flow in the team, in the product organization? Do you use Notion or, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I mean, I think, I feel like the questions around tools, of course, especially on the product side um, um, are, are always, also a matter of, of what people like, right? And, and it's always this challenge of everyone, of course, would like to work with. We, we, we indeed uh, use Notion um, uh, and, and we, we, we love it a lot. Um, and and we, we, I mean, I, I, kind of, I kind of brought Notion to Mapify. Uh, uh, sorry, I, I brought Notion to Gorillas from Mapify. Um, even at Mapify, we were already running the entire uh, company basically on Notion. I'm a huge fan personally as well. Um, so we do, we do. Uh, I would say the majority of our documentation for for product and, and design and engineering we, we do in Notion. And there's a couple of other departments that have also adopted um, Notion as a as a documentation and, and knowledge uh, management tool. Um, we use Atlassian and Jira um, for our product and, and and delivery management, right? And, and the collaboration design. 
product and engineering. Um, and so those are, I would say, the core tools, right? And when it comes to information flow, of course, we have um, a product design and engineering leadership team, right? That, that works with the broader, the broader leadership team in the company uh, to, to understand what are our business objectives, where do we want to go in a, in a given time frame, what do we want to accomplish? And then from there, we, um, we work with uh, the teams uh, in the department to understand along, along the entire customer journey, how do we best contribute um, to these objectives, right? How do we make it work and how do we ultimately um, build the best products possible? One question is personally interesting to me because I'm writing my bachelor thesis on that. How do you collaborate with the design organization? So, you know, a lot of discovery is basically the same with the PM or, you know, so what is, what are you doing? What is same and what is different? Uh, and how did, did that change over the growth of the company? I mean, probably it did. Yeah. So we have um, a fantastic design organization um, uh, that has been um, built uh, also in a very similar way uh, uh, by um, my colleague Barbara. She she has also been you know at at Gorillas from from really the the, the most early days, and um, we believe that that ultimately um, together with the the great engineering organization that we have. Um, there needs to be a, a, an equal collaboration, right, between product management, design, and engineering. There can't be a, um, uh, you know, uh, there, there, there can't be a disproportionate um, ownership of any of these three functions. At least that's 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 more my personal um, perspective that I've that I've gotten on it, right? Because all of these three um, professions contribute so significantly to great to creating a great product that um, you need to have everyone on the same page from the very beginning, right? Product management being responsible for kind of discovering what are the problems that we're trying to solve, right? Why are we solving them for the business? Understanding that very, very deeply, understanding the user or customer and being able to communicate that very well in terms of what do we need to achieve here. And then, of course, design coming in and saying, look, if this is the user problem that we're trying to solve, how can we do that, right? How can we approach that? How can we make that a usable, enjoyable, um, a brand-aligned experience, right? And equally important, engineering being part of that process from the very beginning because engineering is not just a profession that ultimately builds what product and design have come up with. Engineering is the profession that has the entire technical knowledge of what's possible at a given point in time. And if you want to really innovate products, if you, if you, if you want to create an experience where something is new and it's enabled by a new technological standard, you have to bring in engineers at the very beginning so that they can think about the problem and they can inform, again, product and design about what's technically possible, right? You could be coming up with a great kind of possible solution, but someone from the engineering team might know that there's even more advanced steps that we could take that product and design don't even know about, right? So the important takeaway for me here is that I believe in every product work stream 
from the very beginning, from the earliest product discovery you're doing, product and design and engineering need to be very equal and extremely uh, collaborating very well, right? And that's, of course, the PM's, in that case, the PM's responsibility to foster that collaboration and to make that happen and to bring everyone on the same page early on. One more question. How do you track performance of the product across the different cities, districts and everything? So um, we, when you have so many different products, you of course have very different perspectives on what actually makes them great, right? There's very, very different numbers that you have to look at for the customer facing experience than you have to look at for the internal tools, right? Because you have completely different users and completely different you know, user groups in different countries. Um, we have a very uh, advanced way of you know, implementing data tracking and, and KPI development into all of our products. Um, of course, we are kind of like more later stage in some products and more early in, in others that we have just built. And together with the, the data and BI team that we have in the organization, we, um, we, we then create uh, dashboards and, and, and metrics and, and monitor how are things working right now and what, what, what are the metrics that we are uh, aiming to, to, to move upwards, right? And so we are now in a process where for every team, for every vertical we have, we are, we are starting to develop this understanding very specifically um, what do we want to track in the new product release that we that we are making, right? And as I said, some some products already have a great tracking uh, technology in place. Some some are just being rebuilt, right? And we are working that into it right now. Um, and so you and, and then you have basically this pool of these are our product KPIs, right? That we specifically measure about the product um, health and performance. And the other side is the business KPIs, of course, what we are, what we are also looking at, right? How, do, how does the product work that we are doing reflect in our business actually becoming stronger, right? And you, you bring that together and then you have a good understanding of, of how you want to shape the future. Last question. Basically, if I was your apprentice, what would be the three top lessons you learned from your experience so far? So the first thing for me is... I, I really strongly believe that you have to, um, no matter at which stage you are in your career, develop a mindset that it is extremely likely that you will always, at a given point in time, know much less than you think, right? And you, even if you consider yourself an expert in a given domain, the amount of what you don't know is much, much, much greater than what you know. I think that this perspective actually will lead to you striving for acquiring as much knowledge as possible in any given area so that you can move closer and expand your horizon of what you know and you become you know, what other people call like a lifelong learner, right? The second thing that comes with that for me, and this is really crucial, is you develop a certain level of humility, right? Towards what other people are capable of, towards what you're capable of yourself. And that doesn't mean that you're not self-confident. That just means that you acknowledge there's this amount of things that I do know, and there is a much greater area of what I don't know, and it makes you humble because you enter conversations with a, with a general approach of, you know, Probably 
this other person that I'm talking to has a completely different area of what they know. And I should be listening very closely and understand that as much as possible. And it makes you a great collaborator, right? There's nothing worse than someone coming to conversation, knowing, thinking, which is, of course, never true, that they have all the knowledge that everyone else has to, right? And it, 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 it makes all, every conversation so much more um, valuable if you listen very closely and i think that will that will be the that will be the third part for me um work on being a very active listener and this is something that i heard from one of my mentors in the in the early days of appify um active listening means that you're not listening and while you're listening you're already thinking about what you want to what you want to respond to active listening happens when after you have listened and the other person has stopped talking, you're then thinking about what you're, what you're going to say. And there is like this, this pause in the conversation that even shows the other person, this person just listened, and now they're only thinking about it. Because when you're thinking about what you want to say, you're only listening to half of it, and you're only going to get half of the perspective the other person has. And I think the more you, you, you develop this mindset, and the more you become an active listener, the quicker you will actually learn and the less, um, the less amount of time you will, spending, you, you will be spending um, uh, you know, working on things that, that are maybe half-baked and, and you, know, you, could have, you could have acquired better knowledge to be, to be going into that, right? And so for me, it's kind of like this perspective. It's a, it's a, it's a mixture of mindset, right? In, in terms of humility and, 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 and acknowledging what you know, what you don't know taking action on that right being a continuous learner and trying to you know every day you dedicate half an hour to something new and you learn something right half an hour is not really long large amount of time for a given day and then and then really taking action by by listening very proactively and very very closely um, to what other people are saying right and it will contribute i believe to a great setup that will make you much stronger Right. The most interesting people that I've come along that I've met, you know, on my journey so far are the people who um, who spend a lot of time listening very closely and then say something that's very short, but that makes everyone else in the room think very hard. Right. Because they have spent a lot of time understanding what's really going on. And then they think and they think, okay, what is the contribution that I can really make here? And now they are saying something and it really moves the conversation forward, right? And they are asking the really critical question. And I think the more you can develop that, the more you will make a great contribution to whatever group or project you're, you're working on. That is wonderful advice. That's why we have two ears and one mouth, probably. <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's a fantastic picture. That's a fantastic picture, totally, right? Because you ultimately uh, should aim for listening much more than... Uh, than um, than talking in in conversations in which you're trying to solve things collaboratively and and other people have a lot of um, a lot of knowledge right that they can contribute and that you can profit from. Patrick, it was so fun to talk to you and really insightful. I would love to dive dive in deeper into yeah. like in, in, into the how of so many questions that we talked about, um, but. Yeah, for this maybe we can go for maybe we can go for part two at, at some point. Um, uh, I, I want to thank you very very much. It was great questions and um, it was it was really fun. 
um, reflecting on, on on some of these experiences and um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited um, and uh, and uh, yeah, let's 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 connect and we can see uh, you know what kind of questions uh, we can ask uh, we can answer uh, next time. Wonderful, cool. We'll love to do that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Of course, you're welcome. There you have it, another insightful episode. Biggest learning for me, things are always more complex and nuanced than they look. And as Padraig said, there's much more we don't know. Therefore, listen more, talk less. In the show notes for this episode, you will find some quotes that I found personally interesting from this conversation and a link to another podcast interview where the founder of Gorillaz Kagan shares the really early days. So that's interesting as well. You can find all of this on our website, productpioneerspodcast.com. Also check it out because with a small, slight design upgrade, it looks pretty neat in my opinion. I want to say a huge thanks to everyone who supported this podcast so far. Thank you, Patrick, for taking the time today. And as we said, maybe we do a part two to dive deep into the how of product. Hey, that remains to be seen. Also, thanks to all the guests that have been on the podcast for season two. And thanks to all the listeners who actually get value out of our conversations. At least I hope so. Well, thanks, everyone. Also, thanks to the team, Thais, Burju, and Alessandro. It's been a great journey with you with many learnings. Uh, thanks for being on the ride with me. And if, ever, if anyone from the Code students listening are interested to join the fund for Season 3, please get in touch. With each season, we have new people and with that, a new take on the format and topics. So therefore, we appreciate any idea and input. Seriously, we don't bite. So get in touch. Big thanks for Code as well for supporting us with the marketing aspect sometimes and generally for providing a wonderful learning environment. It's really great to be part of that community. If you're still here, what are you doing? Well, please support us with your vote on Product Hunt today. As I said, it would really mean a lot to us. Um, or follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn to stay up to date for any updates for Season 3 and, you know, general updates about seasons and episodes. Hope you great. And here's a personal thank you note. It was so much fun to be the host. I learned a lot from, about podcasting, PM, and I was able to connect with amazing people that I would have never been able to connect otherwise. It was a lot of work, but definitely worth it. Again, thanks everyone. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye.